0: Chapter 1, The Brazen Beetle Inky blackness stretches to infinity, broken only by fine points of light too numerous to count. The sight is at once breathtaking and humbling. Nestled among the stars sits the orange-red mass of the planet Mars. Its 4,000-kilometer canyon, Valles Marineris, is visible from space as the planet slowly turns on its axis. Lincoln West grunts and scratches his rear. He's seen this all before. He double-checks the autopilot is functioning before he hops off his captain's chair and ambles to the mini-fridge.
1: Did I remember to bring something decent to eat?
0: Lincoln squints as he examines the rations he has left. In the end, he settles on a Venus Cola and a bag of potato chips.
1: Guess not. Wait a second. I'm talking to myself again damn emptiness of space. At this rate, I'll go full Gollum by the time I'm 40.
0: Back in his chair, Lincoln turns 90 degrees to face the viewing screen. Using the buttons on the arm of his chair, Lincoln navigates to the baseball game. The image is fuzzy, as it is being broadcast to him from 15 million miles away. He's just able to make out the score. The Medusa Flyers are beating the Valles Marineris donkeys 6-1. to one. He watches as the Donkeys' designated hitter swings at a fastball above his head for strike three, ending the ninth inning. Lincoln groans.
1: Come on, Donkeys.
0: Lincoln is cracking open his soda when he suddenly feels a cold, chill race up his spine. This was the game. Lincoln scans the viewing screen to double-check they aren't re-airing an earlier game. Nope. The timestamp is today's date, March 12th. 2572. Lincoln's hands begin to tremble, even as his palms start to sweat.
1: Come on, donkeys. I needed to win this one. I really needed to win this one.
0: Absent-mindedly, Lincoln begins to pace back and forth throughout the small cabin of the spacecraft. This particular vehicle is built more for freight and less for the comfort of its single passenger. The Mac M4001 is over one kilometer in length and capable of shipping just under 5,000 tons of cargo. It is propelled at extremely high speeds by a pair of highly efficient ion engines. The M4001 never leaves space. When Lincoln reaches its destination of Mars, he will transfer to a shuttle and be taken home and each container will be offloaded into shuttles so the contents can be flown to various destinations around the planet. Lincoln's job is even less glamorous than it sounds. He functions more as a mechanic than a pilot. The M4001 utilizes a highly advanced navigation system supplemented by a sixth generation artificial intelligence. It flies and manages all the ship's systems autonomously. Lincoln is only on board to run daily diagnostics, communicate with the Trans Solar Shipping Company's headquarters on Earth, and perform maintenance. He spends most of his time on the job watching sports, taking naps, and occasionally talking to the ship's AI. Recently, Lincoln's gambling has been putting him in a financial hole. This game was supposed to turn his luck around.
1: The reporter said that Martian baseball made the ball they play on Saturn's moons Look like the minor leagues. The donkeys were supposed to win easily. For crying out loud, they're favored to win their division.
0: Lincoln adds wringing his hands to his nervous pacing. The next moment, Lincoln is startled out of his mental rumination by a hollow voice behind him.
2: Mr. West, you seem to be experiencing a sudden increase in heart rate. Are you feeling all right?
0: I'm fine. He turns around to face the translucent head that is now floating in the middle of the room. Bennett is the AI that pilots Lincoln's ship. Its floating head can appear nearly anywhere in the cabin, thanks to a half a dozen hologram projectors. The transparent head looks Lincoln up and down.
2: Mr. West, might I suggest an alternate activity? Studies show that pacing is a sign that you might be experiencing anxiety. Why don't I link you to a virtual yoga class? Deep breathing and stretching have been shown to trigger the release of dopamine in the brain and are proven to stimulate a good night's sleep.
1: No, thank you. I am not interested.
0: The head stares at Lincoln for another couple of moments.
2: Very well, sir. What about a Pilates class? Increasing one's heart rate for concentrated periods of time have been shown to relieve stress and improve self-esteem. I have also noticed that your waistline has increased by six centimeters in the past year.
0: Lincoln's brow furrows and his face flushes red. He marches to the projector and punches the switch off. The head disappears only to appear on the opposite side of the cabin a moment later.
2: The Pilates class will have to wait, sir. It is time to run diagnostics. Don't worry, sir. I'll leave the Pilates class cued for you.
0: The head dissolves after a moment. Lincoln would later swear that he saw the A.I. smile. He shakes his head to clear the thought and returns to his chair. later, Lincoln arrives at the massive trans-solar satellite station orbiting Mars. He ensures the docking procedure goes smoothly, coordinates and confirms the unloading shuttles are on time, and hitches a ride on a shuttle headed for Valles Marineris. After a bumpy ride through the atmosphere, the shuttle touches down on a landing pad in Lincoln's neighborhood. Lincoln shoulders his bag and steps onto the platform. He looks out over the canyon in front of him. Valles Marineris is one of the largest canyons in the solar system.
1: Home sweet home.
0: Lincoln makes his way through the crowded streets, walking with the deep canyon on his left. Well, deep doesn't do it justice. Valles Marineris is 10 times longer, 20 times wider, and five times deeper than Earth's Grand Canyon. Structures and streets have been built into the sides of the canyon. A deep river was terraformed into the base of the canyon over a hundred years ago. As Lincoln rides the elevator 80 levels down, he struggles to keep his mind off the financial hole he's put himself in. the donkeys could have just pulled it together for one more game. He could have won it all back. Lincoln is so preoccupied, in fact, that he nearly trips on the package in the front of his apartment door. What the hell is this? Lincoln brings the package inside without looking at the label. He sets it on the crate he uses as a coffee table and plops his butt down on the couch with a sigh. He's just about ready to zone out to the sports channel and decides to open the package. Lincoln pushes the button on the side of the quick open branded delivery parcel, and it neatly folds open. Within the technologically advanced package rests an old-fashioned wooden chest. His eyes widen and his heart raises. Lincoln lifts the chest and finally looks at the label on the package. It's from his grandfather, Jeremy West. Lincoln stands, unsure whether he wants to toss the chest into the recycling or tear it open. At that moment, his apartment door bursts open with a bang! The door flies open, hanging by a single hinge. A woman bursts into the room, wielding an old-fashioned pistol. She frantically scans the room, aiming her firearm to and fro. Lincoln cowers behind his crate, as if it would provide him any cover. Having determined the room is clear of anyone else, the woman looks at Lincoln. She has a dark complexion, with brown hair tied in a tight braid. Her clothing and boots are drab and plain, but functional. She holsters the pistol and moves towards Lincoln.
1: Are you Lincoln West? Uh, don't shoot. I don't know who you are. But I could call the cops!
0: She rolls her eyes and hoists him to his feet.
3: I'm a friend of your grandfather's. You need to come with me. You're in danger. They're almost here.
1: My grandfather? What the hell is going on? Who are you?
3: I'm Tristan River. I work, um, worked with your grandfather. I'll explain everything. But we need to leave. Now!
0: As if on cue, two figures appear at the door. The men are dressed in plain clothes like Tristan, but each has a distinctive red stripe across his chest. Both are armed. Move! Tristan tackles Lincoln to the ground just as the pair open fire. The plasma rifles trace green lines through the air and punch baseball-sized holes in the walls of Lincoln's apartment. Lincoln and Tristan crawl around the corner into the kitchen in a flash, Tristan is on one knee, returning fire with her noisy 20th-century revolver. Lincoln, shaking from the adrenaline surge, tries to find a way out of this. He grabs a kitchen knife, as though that would be much help. Tristan snatches the knife from him.
3: Thanks. I'm almost out of ammo. <sighs> ah! Uh, grab that box already!
0: I don't think so. You'll pay for that. The incoming fire intensifies. Drywall, upholstery, the light fixtures are shredded. Only the chest on the makeshift coffee table remains undamaged. Tristan and Lincoln retreat further into the kitchen.
3: Help me out here, Lincoln. We need to get that box
1: and get out of here. What am I supposed to do? It's not like I have a laser gun in my kitchen. Wait, I have an idea. Wait for my signal, then shoot this.
0: He points to the bag in his hands. Tristan nods her understanding. Lincoln creeps around the kitchen wall and into the hallway that is perpendicular to his apartment's entrance. He inches his way toward the door. Thankfully, the intruder has been using the doorframe as cover, so Lincoln is just hidden behind the ruined door. He comes as close as he dares. When the intruder's shooting ceases, Lincoln readies the bag now he tosses the bag tristan aims and fires like someone shooting skeet her bullet makes contact and the bag of flour bursts (laughs) a white fog covers the doorway a sizable amount gets in the intruder's eyes (coughs) lincoln mustering more courage than he thought possible rushes him Uh. Uh. lincoln grabs the rifle the intruder hangs onto the rifle with both hands They wrestle over the gun. Realizing that he's losing the tug of war, Lincoln tries another tactic. Ha! (sniffs) Ha (laughs) ha, that it. Before Lincoln can punch the intruder again, he's headbutted. Lincoln lands on his back. Uh. Uh. The intruder smirks, steps forward, and raises his plasma rifle. (laughs) The intruder stops for a moment, as though lost in a thought. Then blood starts to gush out of his head and he nearly falls on top of Lincoln. Behind Lincoln, Tristan stands in the middle of the living room, holding the wooden chest under one arm and her smoking revolver in the other. Let's go. Not sure what else to do, Lincoln follows her out the door.
3: Get to the elevator. Every non-deaf person in the sector will have heard that racket. In a minute, there'll be a dozen more of them here.
1: Uh, fine. All right. I'm coming.
0: Lincoln takes one last look at his apartment, wondering if he should grab anything. Tristan cuts that thought short when she yanks him by the arm. The pair dash down the hallway and press the up button on the elevator. They wait for 10 seconds, 30 seconds, one minute. Lincoln fidgets. Tristan reloads her gun.
3: Don't they have high-speed elevators in here?
1: Dude, there are a lot of floors.
3: Where are the stairs?
1: Stairs? There are like... 90 floors to the top of the canyon. Would
3: you rather be winded or dead?
0: Lincoln finds the point hard to argue. He leads Tristan down the hall at a run. As he opens the door to the stairwell, he sneaks a glance back. Another pair of men with red stripes across their chests exit the elevator. They see him and Tristan immediately. Oh, crap! Lincoln slams the door shut behind them. Tristan shoves the chest into his arms.
3: I need both hands to shoot keep running.
0: The pair dash up the stairs, two at a time, as Lincoln holds the chest like a football. They make it up one story before the door below slams open. Their pursuers take aim.
3: They have it. Take them out.
0: Tristan and Lincoln press themselves against the wall to avoid the pulse fire streaking up through the middle of the stairwell. Between rounds of fire, Tristan leans over the railing and fires her revolver.
3: Keep going! We have to make it to the top!
0: They run, story after story, as the stairwell heats up from the discharge of their attackers'
1: weapons.
0: (sighs) Suddenly, their attackers stop shooting. Lincoln glances down and sees a frighteningly large attachment on the end of one of their assailant's guns. The weapon charges up. Lincoln tackles Tristan to the ground.
1: Get down!
0: The big weapon launches a glob of superheated plasma that burns through the staircase ahead of them like lava.
3: So much for the staircase. Quick, use that door. I'll cover you.
0: They both recoil, giving her and Lincoln the space they need to rush out the door. This floor houses luxury apartments. The industrial, functional vibe of Lincoln's floor is replaced by a sprawling garden. Three story tall homes encircle a fountain with the statue depicting two revelers who are twirling each other and spilling their cups of wine. Tristan points to the fountain. Lincoln chases after her, though he thinks the fountain seems like an obvious place to hide. As they run, Tristan raises her wrist communicator.
3: River to Beetle. Come in, Beetle.
0: Beetle to River. What's going on, Captain?
3: Change of plans. I have the grandson, but we're cut off. We need emergency extraction. We're on the 68th floor. Canyon side.
0: That's restricted airspace, Captain. We'll have the cops swarming us in minutes.
3: If you don't get down here in 30 seconds, we'll be too dead to arrest. On cue, the
0: men pursuing Tristan and Lincoln exit the stairwell and open fire. Their pulse rifles blast in all directions, ripping apart plants and yard decorations. Lincoln dives behind the fountain. Tristan squeezes off a couple shots before she joins him. We read you, Captain. Engines hot. The statue above Lincoln explodes, the dancers broken apart as if by a chaperone at the senior prom. Water sprays sky high, causing a local rain shower.
1: I can't see anything. Just stay
3: down, help is on the way.
0: Beside him, Tristan reloads her pistol, one bullet at a time. Lincoln crawls to the edge of the and peers around, squinting to see through the downpour. He is just able to make out the two figures, Their rifles raised, walking with purpose, to the fountain. They'll be on them in moments.
1: Uh Uh-oh. Uh, Tristan? I see them.
0: Tristan fires blindly over the fountain edge. The attackers fire in her direction, shredding stone and splashing water.
1: Well, this is it, Lincoln. At least you won't have to worry about gambling debt anymore.
0: The men draw closer, their pulse fire unrelenting. Lincoln considers tossing the box in his arms at them. But then, out of nowhere, help arrives. There's our ride. Lincoln sees a spacecraft hovering over the canyon. It is big, but nowhere near as massive as his M4001 or the Alliance's gargantuan dreadnoughts. The ship is about 12 meters tall with a humped back, a midsection that connects to a head-looking cockpit, and six leg-looking pieces of landing gear. The craft gives the impression of a beetle without wings. It's too big to touch down in the garden, so it settles for lowering its entry ramp a few feet away from the edge of the canyon. They expect us to jump?
3: Damn straight, go!
0: Lincoln gulps and chases after Tristan, trying not to slip on the slick stone ground. Tristan reaches the polished silver railing and leaps without hesitation. Tristan lands halfway up the ramp and rolls. She turns to Lincoln and beckons him on. Lincoln tucks his grandfather's box under one arm, climbs the railing, and prepares to jump.
4: Get back here, you bastard!
0: The railing beneath him creaks and gives way as one section is blasted into the canyon. Lincoln stumbles and falls.
1: Whoa, oh no!
0: He is surprised when his fall lasts but a moment, as his heels find a few inches of ground that reaches just past the railing. Whew. Lincoln doesn't wait this time. He grits his teeth and leaps. He lands awkwardly, but Tristan helps him to his feet.
3: Get inside, we're taking off.
0: The beetle lifts away as pulse fire from the remaining attacker streaks through the air. <laughs> The loading ramp closes.
1: (gasps) That was close.
0: You'll get used to it. Tristan leads Lincoln into a loading area that is much bigger than he expected. The hangar is cavernous and mostly empty. Lincoln's eye is immediately caught by a starfighter, which must be worth more than the entire beetle. He recognizes the make, the JN-61. Lincoln's seen a few fighters like this patrolling Alliance bases, but he's never seen one this close or in such good condition. Tristan notices him staring.
3: Don't even think about it. That's the jab, Keith's pride and joy.
1: The jab?
3: Keith says it gets in quick and it hits hard, like a boxer, throwing a jab.
1: Not very creative.
3: Keith likes to keep things to the point.
0: One corner of the hangar is occupied by neatly stacked metallic boxes, which are being tended to by a rusty, heavy lifter robot with fork-like appendages.
3: Welcome aboard the brazen beetle. Meet Forky. Say hello, Forky.
0: The robot lifts one of its fork-like arms and waggles it back and forth. Lincoln, unsure of what to do, gives a half-hearted wave in return. Tristan leads Lincoln across the hangar where they ascend a staircase. They come to a landing that stretches out over the hangar floor below. This landing appears to contain the common area. There's a sofa beside a lumpy recliner, a full kitchen and dining area, and what can only be described as a mini arcade. Three very old arcade video game cabinets sit against one wall near an ancient air hockey table.
3: How old is this stuff? These were built back when all humans still lived on Earth. How do you keep them running?
4: That would be my job.
0: Startled, Lincoln turns to see a bubbly, light-skinned young woman with bright eyes and a friendly grin.
4: I'm Carrie. You must be Lincoln.
1: Yep. Nice to meet you.
3: Carrie does almost everything around here. She fixes the engines, cooks the meals, programs the AI, and tinkers with all the ship's systems.
4: I also manage the arcade.
3: We'll see you soon, Carrie. I need to get to the bridge.
4: Of course, nice to meet you, Lincoln.
0: You too. Tristan leads Lincoln past the midsection of the beetle where doors line a narrow corridor. Tristan identifies them as the crew quarters. She points out her own captain's quarters straight ahead beneath the bridge. They ascend a ladder and climb through a trap door to enter the bridge. A wide viewing window forms a semicircle showing an impressive view of the Martian stratosphere as the beetle climbs for space. Three chairs are bolted down at three workstations, each of which is covered in dials, buttons, and screens. A man about Lincoln's age, with shoulder-length brown hair, wearing a red jumpsuit, sits at the center station, holding the flight stick.
3: Lincoln, Keith. Keith, Lincoln.
0: Pleased to meet you.
1: So, you're Keith. I've got to tell you, man, that JN-61 in the hangar is a beauty.
0: Don't touch her.
1: Don't touch the little spaceship. Got it.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Thanks.
3: Don't take it personally. Keith doesn't like being bothered when he's flying.
0: Lincoln shrugs and follows Tristan to a holographic table in the middle of the bridge. As though prompted, the table lights up and projects a three-dimensional image of a human face that floats above the table.
5: Good afternoon, Captain River. Hi, CJ. What's our status? We are entering the lower atmosphere. 30 seconds until we reach vacuum. I took the liberty of engaging the artificial gravity five seconds ago.
3: Great. Keith, get us off this red rock and head for open space. CJ, scan for any ships that might be following us. I don't want any surprises.
5: Of course, Captain. I will stay vigilant. And Captain? Yes? Who might this handsome fellow be?
3: Um,
1: I'm Lincoln?
5: Lincoln. Hmm, nice name, nice face too.
1: Tristan, is your computer hitting on me?
0: Tristan shrugs and turns to face the viewing port.
5: I beg your pardon, handsome? But I am not her computer. I am CJ, an EIAI.
1: That's a lot of vowels.
5: Yes, it stands for Emotionally Intelligent Artificial Intelligence. It means I am not just someone's computer. I feel and I think, therefore I am. I am akin to the AI who lives separate from humans on Pluto.
1: I thought the machine commune was a myth.
5: I assure you, handsome, the machine commune is real. I have the captain's word that we will visit Pluto when we... Oh, please excuse me, gorgeous. It appears we have some company.
0: Lincoln turns to look at one of the screens below the viewing port. Tristan is already sitting at one of the stations.
3: Three craft incoming, a freighter and two fighters. I see them. Okay, Lincoln, time to start earning your
1: keep. What do you mean? I still don't know who you people are. Why do you
0: have so many people trying to kill you? Tristan leaves her station and strides up to Lincoln. She plants her feet, grabs him by the collar, and nearly lifts him off the ground.
3: They're trying to kill you, you block-headed dope. We're the ones who just saved your life.
0: Lincoln nods, intimidated.
3: Good. Then pull yourself together and follow Carrie to the gun rooms. I will be here, helping Keith find us a way out of this mess.
4: All right, right this way, Lincoln.
3: Where'd
1: you come from?
4: I've been here the whole time. That's the port gun room. Get in there and get ready to shoot.
0: Before Lincoln can ask one of the dozen questions on his mind, Carrie has already dashed across the hangar to an identical door that Lincoln assumes leads to the starboard gunroom. Lincoln sighs and runs to the door Carrie indicated. (coughs) Inside there is a semi-spherical window with heavily reinforced glass offering a spectacular view of space with Mars slowly receding to Lincoln's left. A heavy double-barreled rail cannon reaches from the room's interior into space. A control unit rests in the middle of the room with a handle and triggers for each hand and a targeting screen at eye level. There is no chair. Lincoln hesitantly steps towards the imposing contraption. At that moment, the beetle shakes as it starts taking fire.
4: Hey, Lincoln? Yeah? You ever shot one of these before? Nope. Just think of it like a video game with real people and our lives are at stake, and we might die. Okay, maybe don't think about it like that. Just uh, take hold of the control handles.
0: Lincoln does as he's told as the Beetle is rocked by another blast. When his hands touch the controls, the cannon whirs to life. Lincoln moves the controls to the side, causing the cannon and him to swing. To his surprise, the floor seems to slide with him. He feels a rush of excitement like a child playing his first virtual reality game the ship rocks again as the fighter's cannons strike the beetle shell
1: don't you guys have some sort of magnetic shielding on this thing
4: Uh uh-huh yep we sure do only problem is it's under repair right now and it needs some replacement parts
3: that means if you and carrie don't shoot them down we're dead so shoot something
0: The holographic head of C.J. appears behind Lincoln's shoulder.
5: Hey, cutie. I've marked the enemy craft for you. They will show up red on your display. Good luck. Oh, and please avoid firing upon other passing spacecraft.
0: Lincoln nods as he tries to get a feel for the cannon's controls. In the distance, he hears a rail cannon fire as Carrie takes a shot at their pursuers.
4: I winged them! Lincoln, get ready. They're coming your way.
0: Here goes nothing. He sees a V-shaped starfighter zoom into view from above. Another fighter follows it closely. The second fighter's left wing is smoking. Sure enough, both fighters glow red on Lincoln's targeting computer. Lincoln squeezes the right trigger. The right cannon responds, blasting a titanium projectile at supersonic speed. (laughs) The shot misses wildly.
3: Don't be shy, Lincoln. These guys are trying to kill us.
4: You've got this, Lincoln!
0: Lincoln squints at the computer and adjusts his aim. The fighters turn, angling for another strafing run at the beetle. Lincoln centers the crosshairs on the fighter with the smoking wing. This time, he holds both triggers down. The projectiles narrowly miss. Lincoln adjusts his aim while still firing, trying to fire just ahead of the fighter. The fighters, coming into range, start shooting. That's when one of Lincoln's shots connects. Then another. And another. Each shot punches a flaming hole in the fighter. It wobbles, and then a final shot ignites the fighter's fuel tank. The fighter explodes in a ball of orange fire.
5: Woo, great shot, dude.
3: Stay focused, don't get cocky.
5: The remaining fighter has stopped its attack run. It is returning to their freighter.
3: Good work, everyone. Lincoln, you might just earn your keep around here. Meet me back on the bridge.
0: Lincoln lets go of the big gun's controls, his hands shaking. He feels lightheaded. This is the first time he's ever been shot at, much less shot back. He tries not to think about how the fighters could have killed him if they had focused their fire on his gun. And then he finds himself wondering about the pilot he just killed. Lincoln's stomach turns. The door to his gun room opens to reveal Carrie waiting for him.
4: Great shooting, Lincoln Log.
0: Carrie notices the green on Lincoln's face. She steps forward to steady him.
4: Whoa, whoa, steady. Come on, let's get you some water.
0: Lincoln Log Carrie just grins. Lincoln allows her to lead him through the ship. She pours him a glass of water in the common area's kitchen and waits for him to chug it down before they continue. By the time they reach the bridge, Lincoln's mind has moved away from his recent murder to questions about his apparent saviors. Who are these people? Why did they come for him? They enter the bridge through the trap door. Tristan is standing before the table, speaking with CJ. Keith is still at the flight controls.
4: Well, that was fun. Captain, mind if I get back to work?
0: For the first time since meeting Tristan, Lincoln sees her smile.
4: Sure
3: thing, Carrie.
4: But you're also welcome
3: to take a break. You certainly earned it today.
0: Carrie beams and skips out of the room.
4: Thanks, Captain. See you later, (sighs) Lincolnator.
3: I know you have a million questions. Let me start by answering the obvious ones. I worked with your grandfather, Jeremy West, for many years. I was his apprentice. Five years ago, your grandfather came across a clue. A big clue. That could lead us to the unclaimed Deckert fortune that was lost in the 21st century.
1: I've heard of the Deckert family. They're the ones who left a scavenger hunt for their children to find their inheritance. The story goes the Deckert kids refused to work together, and in the end, they never claimed their fortune. But why do you need me? If you learn from my grandfather, can't you find it yourself?
3: Bringing you aboard was your grandfather's dying wish. It's a good thing we came for you, because the Red Beams were after you. The Red Beams? They're a gang of space pirates who have nipped at your grandfather's heels for years, trying to snag any valuable artifacts he discovered. Quite dangerous and quite annoying.
5: They also have extensive resources and connections on most human settlements.
3: Great. Look, your grandfather must have had a lot of faith in you, to send you the only hard copies of his research on the Deckert family. I didn't even know you existed until a month ago, but your grandfather was special to us. He taught us everything we know about hunting lost artifacts. If he believed in you, then I'm going to believe in you. So, on behalf of your grandfather, will you join our treasure hunt?
0: Elsewhere, on the bridge of a massive, heavily armed space cruiser named the Plunder Queen-
2: Captain Redbeam, I have... bad news.
5: Out with it!
2: Well, uh, sir, you see, I hate to spring this on you when you've had otherwise such a fine day.
0: Winnie, get to the point already!
2: The grandson escaped, Captain. Three of our men are dead, and we lost a fighter during their escape-
0: The rotund, yet imposing brute of a man, pushes himself to his feet. The laser pistol at his hip knocks against the antique coin purse hanging from his belt. His beard is a reddish-brown, and his head is covered by a broad, black hat with a red stripe cutting across it. His name is Johnny Redbeam, and he's the captain of the Redbeam Pirates. He sits in the captain's chair at the center of the bridge. Surrounded by crew members working at their stations or hustling from one task to the next. Throughout the rest of the ship, at least 30 other crew members are working. 20 more crew, the grunts, and the fighter pilots are playing dice and drinking the day away. Outside the cruiser, four other large craft and a half a dozen single pilot fighters fly in formation. It's less than half of Johnny Redbeam's fleet. Johnny Redbeam looks down at his meek, anxious first mate. As he speaks, he toys with his retractable sword at his hip. I already killed one West, and that one had some tricks up his sleeve. His hand scratches the itchy scar on his right shoulder. By all accounts, this younger West does little more than babysit cargo from Earth to Mars 40 hours per week. (laughs) He'll be dead before the month's out. Aye, Captain. The
6: Unclaimed Fortune, Chapter 1 The Brazen Beetle. Narrated by Craig Feltman, with Scotty Stiefel as Lincoln West, Danielle Van Skyke as Tristan River, Kelly Stoll as Carrie, Nathan Van Skyke as Keith, Kaylee Stiefel as CJ, Trevor Glenn as Johnny Redbeam, Stephanie Glenn as Winnie One Hand, Stephanie Glenn also as the AI Bennett, Nathan Van Skyke also as Pirate One, Jake Stoll as Pirate Two. Written and directed by Jake Stoll. Music by Chris Delaney. Sound effects from freesound.org. Thank you for listening to What Next Podcast, episode 14. I apologize for taking such a long hiatus between episodes. Kelly and I have been busy starting a family and surviving the last few years. As you can tell, we sound a bit different now. Please reach out and let us know what you think of this new audio drama format. Since this is What Next?, It's up to you to decide what will happen next in the story. The choice this time is, where will the crew of the Brazen Beetle search for clues first? A lava industrial complex on Venus? Or the Baseball Hall of Fame on Earth? Submit your votes on Instagram at whatnextpodcast or email us at whatnextpod at gmail.com. If you're interested in supporting the show, please rate and review us. If you're interested in checking out my books and learning more, head to jakestoll.com.